Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And angels came and attended him. Thus ends our reading of God's infallible word. May all who hear it find strength in their Lord when the tempter comes. In many ways, uh, the beginning of Matthew's gospel follows a pattern that we see in the Old Testament. It was in Jesus' genealogy that we were reminded of the book of genealogies, the book of Genesis. And of course it is in Genesis where we, where we read of the, of the miraculous birth of Isaac. And now here in Matthew, we have a more miraculous birth. One who is born of a virgin. And we also read in Matthew's Gospel of, of King Herod and, and of his slaughter of the innocent. And there we were reminded of another king, Pharaoh, who killed the firstborn males of the Hebrews that were living in Egypt. Of course, God spared a savior for his people, Moses. And now in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus, the Savior of the world, was also spared when his family fled to, of all places, Egypt. And it was out of Egypt that, that Moses helped his people escape from slavery as they passed through the waters of the Red Sea. Coming back to Matthew, we, we, we see Jesus also entered into the waters of salvation as he identified with the sinner when he was baptized in the Jordan River. And yet it would take the Israelites 40 years of wandering in the desert before they entered into the promised land. And here in our text today, we see Jesus fasting for 40 days and 40 nights in the desert of Judea. Just as Yahweh had tested Israel, whom he called his son, we once again see the testing of the Son of God. Now, in order for us to fully understand all that is happening in our story for today, we must first take a step back and remind ourselves of what we learned last week when we looked at Jesus' baptism. There we will find three keys that will, that will play into our scripture reading for today. First, in Matthew 
chapter 3, verse 15, we discovered the reason that Jesus got baptized. If you remember, John had tried to deter Jesus from being baptized, but Jesus responded with these words. Look at that verse again, Matthew 3, verse 15. Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. In allowing himself to be baptized, Jesus was fulfilling all righteousness. Now, while it was necessary for Jesus to go to the cross to die for our sins, Jesus also needed to live a sinless life. This righteousness of Christ encompasses all the acts of obedience that Jesus did throughout his whole lifetime. Such righteousness is then imputed to or credited to those who repent and believe. The second thing of note we learn in verse 16. Let's read that again. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. So the second thing that we must keep in mind, which is vital to understand, is that Jesus' ministry was empowered and guided by the Holy Spirit. And finally, in verse 17, we saw God the Father speaking these words. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus being the Son of God is a, is a theme that will be progressively revealed throughout this gospel, and it will tie in to our story for today. So keeping these three things in mind, Jesus fulfilling all righteousness, Jesus being led by the Holy Spirit, and Jesus being the Son of God. Let's take a closer look at our text for today. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Now Jesus had just gotten baptized in the, in the Jordan River, so he was already in the desert. Most likely he was then guided to a secluded place away from the crowds that were surrounding John the Baptist. But notice who it was that led Jesus. The Spirit. This was our second, second key to keep in mind. Jesus wasn't directing himself. Rather, he was submitting to his Father by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. This Jesus, this, this Son of God who had just been inaugurated the King, was now in full obedience. When we look at the authorities in our world, whether it is a president or a prime minister or especially a king or some type of dictator, we tend to think about absolute power. These people are the, are the highest in the land, and as such, they submit to no one. But that's not how God sees leadership. The higher the position, the, the weightier the responsibility and the greater the submission. 
You see, Jesus, he doesn't enter into his kingship by seizing control. No. He enters in as a servant, willing to suffer for his father and for his people. And pay attention also to, to why the Spirit led Jesus into the desert. To be tempted by the devil. Think about that for a moment. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by Satan. Now how many of you parents out there would put your own child into that situation? Let me ask you do, you, do you want your kid to hang out with the drug dealer at school? Would you send them to that party where you, where you just know that there's going to be a keg? And yet, as your kids mature and then as they get older, you can no longer protect them from every evil that exists. And so at some point, you, you have to let them loose. And trust that they will make the right decisions. Here we see the Spirit leading Jesus into the desert for the express purpose of being tempted. Now we know that God never tempts anyone, but He allows for temptation to take place. And one just has to think back to, to Adam and Eve in the garden when God allowed the serpent to speak His lies tempting them to eat the forbidden fruit. And now here, this, this same devil is allowed to speak to the Son of God. Now, why do you suppose this is? Some have suggested that this testing in the wilderness was in preparation for Jesus' public ministry. And while there may be some credence to this, I think there's more to it than that. I imagine Jesus probably could have foregone such testing and completed his ministry without a hitch. No, it's not, it's not just the testing. There is something else going on here. Do you remember the first of the three keys that I gave you? Jesus fulfilling all righteousness. This is what Jesus is doing in the desert. Jesus was once again associating himself with sinners in an intimate way. If Jesus is truly going to be the Son of God with whom the Father is well pleased, then he needed to be tempted in every way without sin. So what we see in our text today is, is more than just a preparation for ministry. Jesus was in the desert to fulfill all righteousness. And part of fulfilling all righteousness meant sacrifice on the part of Christ. Look at verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. As I mentioned before, we see that connection to, to Israel. For 40 years, Israel wandered throughout the desert, finding their only nourishment from the manna that God would produce for them. In many ways, they were experiencing a fast of their own. Let me ask you, 
What is at the heart of fasting? At its most basic level, what is it really about? It is a deprival of a necessity of life in order to help a person understand that their existence is ultimately in God's hands. It's a way of, of humbling a person by, by demonstrating to them that, that they don't have control over whether they live or whether they die. Unless God sustains a person, they will perish. Come the season of Lent, I, I often hear people saying that they are going to fast from some strange things. Some want to fast from alcohol, some want to fast from smoking or from watching TV or, or being on Facebook. Now, as worthy as such deprivals may be, the, the, these things, they, they fall short of what true biblical fasting really is. For neither beer nor, nor nicotine nor television or, or social media are necessities in life. Giving up an unhealthy habit, while it may be beneficial to you, it doesn't demonstrate your true need the way that giving up food will. Think of the, the, the Israelites in the, in the desert. They lived a life of fasting every day. For they had, they had no food. And yet, God supernaturally sustained them with manna from heaven. For 40 years, their lives were in the hands of God. It was, it was this tangible lesson to them that, that Yahweh was the sole source of their strength. And now we see here in, in verse 2 that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. So this wasn't just a sun-up to sun-down type of fast. No. Jesus didn't eat anything for 40 straight days. In other words, he did not rely on himself through the means of gathering and eating of food in order to sustain his life. Instead, he trusted in his Father to keep him alive. And so we see at the, at the end of these 40 days, Jesus, in his humanity, was hungry. And it was in this weakened state that, that the tempter came. Look at verse 3. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. This tempter is none other than Satan himself. He is the one who, who led a third of the angels in rebellion against God. He is the one who, who twisted God's word in the Garden of Eden. And he is the accuser that we read about in the book of Job. And now he has come to Jesus with the mindset to defeat the Son of God. So he says to them, says to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now there are two ways you could read this verse. One could read it like this. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. 
The emphasis on the if. With, with such a reading, so one could say that, that Satan was trying to create doubt within Jesus as to what the Father had said at his baptism concerning his own identity. But one could also read the verses like this. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. When read this way, the emphasis gets placed on Satan's temptation. Thus, he is not, not challenging Jesus' identity, identity per se. Rather, he is inviting Jesus to reflect on what such a title means. It is, it is our third key to remember. Jesus being the Son of God. Now, of course, we weren't there. We didn't hear the devil speak these words, so we can't be sure where the emphasis was added. But given the nature of this passage and, and how Jesus responded, I'm putting my money on the ladder. They'll ask me again next week, and I'll probably change my mind. But if this is the case... That, that Satan is challenging Jesus to reflect on the meaning of his title, the Son of God, then, then the temptation is to get Jesus to believe that such a title grants him the right to certain things. In other words, the, the, the devil is trying to get Jesus to abuse his authority and thus getting him off mission. Now we know from verse 2 that Jesus was hungry. So this temptation to, to tap into his divine powers in order to make some bread had to be enticing. And it's not that Jesus would never do such a thing. One just has to go to Matthew 14 and find Jesus doing this exact thing when he, when he fed the 5,000. So, so the temptation is not for him to use his powers. Rather, it is for him to use them in order to be self-sufficient. Remember, Jesus had been led to the desert by the Holy Spirit to be tempted. And part of this temptation demanded that he abstain from food. He needed to be dependent upon his Father, even for his very life. So what do we see as the, as the devil's first temptation? Come on, Jesus. You're the Son of God. Stop with all this hungry nonsense and, and live like a king. The king that you're supposed to be. In other words, use your position of authority to satisfy yourself. Stop depending on your Father and take action. It is in this first temptation that we see this desire to be self-sufficient. Instead of being led by his Father through the Holy Spirit, Satan wants Jesus to take the initiative. This is the same trial that we talked about earlier with the Israelites in the wilderness. They could not fend for themselves, but had to rely on God to provide for them manna to eat. Five days out of the week, they were to collect enough for them and for their whole family. And on the sixth day, they were to collect a double portion in order to rest on the seventh. Of course, some did not trust in the Lord, 
And they collected more than they should have on those five days. They wanted to save some for the next morning. Yet when they woke the next day, those extra portions, they stunk and they were full of maggots. And then there were some who would just go out on the seventh day. They were trying to collect more. But they found on the seventh day there was none to be collected. And so in Exodus 16, verse 28, we read this. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. The Lord had provided for his people, and yet they did not trust in him. And so they grumbled. But before we condemn the Hebrews, we must ask ourselves, are we any different? Ever since John Hancock put his John Hancock on the Declaration of Independence, we Americans have been on a path of autonomy. We want to be a law unto ourselves. Back then it was freedom from the constraints of King George. We wanted to be self-governed. Fast forward almost 250 years and, and you will find that we have taken this notion of independence to an individualistic level. We have become a people who want to be free from all restraints. And where we commonly see this is in our desire for financial freedom. From an early age, a person's life begins to revolve around making money. You've got to get good grades in school in order to attend college. Once there, the, the, the pressure for success only increases. In order to get a, a better internship or, or the better job upon graduation. And once you are in the working world, then there's that burden to move up the corporate ladder in order to improve your earnings potential. And of course, once you're making all of this money, you must now store it away. You need a retirement plan so that at an old age, you can continue in your self-sufficiency. Now, don't get me wrong, there is also wisdom in these choices. I'm not saying that you shouldn't get educated or that you shouldn't save for retirement. But if they are done out of a desire to be self-sufficient, then they become sinful. Luke 12, verses 16 through 31. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a, gr a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? 
This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this, since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Ask yourself, how often do you pray? Be honest. A lack of a prayer life demonstrates the sin of self-sufficiency. Might I suggest that when you don't feel the need to pray, when you don't feel the need to seek the Father, it demonstrates that you have a false sense of peace. That you think everything is going to be okay without God's help. Subconsciously, deep in your heart, you believe that you don't really need him. Where Israel failed, where, where you fail and where I fail, Christ succeeds. Look at verse 4. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's interesting to see how Jesus doesn't even rely on his own words when responding to the tempter. Instead, he goes to Scripture. It is written. So even in his response, he is not self-sufficient. Now, Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy, which, which Ali read to us earlier in our first Scripture reading. Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 and 3. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It was God who had humbled his people in order to instruct them. And what did he teach them? That they couldn't be self-reliant. Rather, that their, their very lives are sustained by the word of God. 
If they were to go into the promised land and conquer, they couldn't do it on their own strength. Jesus understood this. And even though he had gone without food for 40 days, he did not succumb to the temptation to make bread. But he found his nourishment in the words of his father. And he did all of this to fulfill all righteousness. He did this for you. Where you fail and where I fail, and having total reliance upon God, Christ, He is victorious. And it is only through His victory that you are able to put on His righteousness. Dear friends, turn away from your, your self-sufficiency and trust in Jesus. For it is only in Him that you will find Mana from heaven. It is only in Jesus that you will discover the bread of life. It is only in Christ that you will find your provision. Stop relying on yourself and put your faith in Him alone. Well, Jesus was tempted two more times, but we're going to save those for next Sunday. For now, let's, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we confess that too often we rely on ourselves instead of you. We are grateful for your Son, who in every way trusted in you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, who, who guided our Lord through that righteous path. We ask now that you would aid us and and to the same submission. Help us to repent of our, of our self-sufficiency and, and rely on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.